everyone, and welcome to episode number three of the Come Let Us Disciple podcast. I'm your host, Tom Neary, the pastor of Capri Catonsville Church here in Catonsville, Maryland, as well as the pastor behind Pastor Unlikely. I'm glad you joined us. We have a great episode coming up for you with my interview with Josh Plantholt, one of the pastors over at Calvary Chapel, Baltimore. I think you'll hear we had a great time recording this episode, just talking about the things of God, church, and life as a disciple of Christ. You'll hear Josh talk about his experience growing up in the church, his experience as a youth pastor, and then as a pastor, and really focusing on the areas of discipleship that we all need to work on, both sharing the word with others, sharing the gospel in the world. And if you stick around towards the end, I, I ask him for just one tip for believers. And I, I absolutely love his answer. He, was, he talks about the balance between holiness and grace. I know it's, it's fundamental to our walk with Jesus, but we often forget it. So stick around. It's really worthwhile. If you would like to contact Josh, his, he gives his information towards the end of the episode. You can also contact me at pastorunlikely at gmail.com or just head over to pastorunlikely.com or calvarycatonsville.org. And with that, I hope you enjoy the episode. All right, so we, we are here with Josh Planholt, one of the pastors of Calvary Chapel, Baltimore. Josh has been a pastor for how long, Josh? I have been a pastor for about four years, and about 10 years before that, I was a youth, a youth minister, a youth pastor. Okay. Josh was raised in the church, the son of Rick Planholt, the senior pastor over at Cambridge Chapel, Baltimore. And part of the reason I wanted to talk to Josh is just to get some info, insight about growing up in, in a Christian home. And I think he knows first firsthand about discipleship from both being discipled and discipling others now as a pastor. So uh, w- welcome, Josh. Anything you want to add to to that short bio? Nope, I think you painted me much better than I would have. <laughs> the first thing I wanted to ask you about was that it, not specifically discipleship, but I, I saw you did a bio of Billy Graham. Was it last I did. Before? Yep, Sunday, about five days ago. Okay, and what what brought that on? So one of the one of the things that I, I find very interesting, um, you know, right now in the church, there's this huge wave of non-denominational churches. Um, and I don't, I don't know what your, your listeners' uh, perspective is on how church they are, but essentially it's, uh, it's someone who doesn't ascribe to a, to a larger hierarchy. They don't, they don't uh, respond, uh, aren't under the rule of a pope or a council. Uh, they, they typically are self-contained. And if they do have, a, have an overarching structure, it's pretty loose and pretty free. So there's, there's all this new new kind of churches that are opening, and it's wonderful. And it's we're seeing what happened with Martin Luther in 1518, where there was a reformation from church church law, uh, where the traditions of men had become on uh, side by side with Holy Scripture, being the 66 books of the Bible. Well, as all these non-denominationalist churches are springing up everywhere. What's happening is, is I'm noticing there's a very shallow understanding of the men and women that have come before us hitting kind of these new strides. But just because we're sort of reforming again from, you know, six, uh, 300, 400 year old denominations like the Lutherans and Presbyterians, and um, that doesn't mean, you know, you need to throw the baby out with the bathwater. <laughs> 
Uh, and so one of the things that was really laid heavily on my heart was to look at the men and women who have come before us and, and help explain our story a little bit. Um, I think it was Winston Churchill that said, the further into the past you can view, the further into the future you can see. And I, I really do believe that. And there's also something really encouraging about seeing God use uh, really broken people <laughs> all throughout church history. It's encouraging for the modern church. And so I wanted to, uh, as a non-denominationalist church, and our roots as Calvary Chapels only go back, what, what is it, 50 years when they when the first one started? Yeah, late, um, late, late 60s, early 70s. Yeah. So what I wanted to do was, as you know, we don't have deep church roots. But in a sense, we do in the, in, when we look at the church as a whole. And I, and I didn't want to forsake the, some of the beautiful traditions and some of the beautiful men and women of our past. And so I, I wanted our church to be rich and seasoned in, in, in those sorts of stories. So is Billy Graham the first in a series on, on uh, great Christians that have gone before? Or was this just one that, that you've chosen? No. So um, last year, uh, what, what sort of sprung this on was last October uh, in, uh, in uh, 2017, uh, so I guess the Reformation was, uh, was 1517, we celebrated the 500th anniversary of the Reformation, the nailing of the 95 Thesis on the door of Wittenberg. And then we wanted to do another one in October, and I realized the, the 100th birthday of Billy Graham was actually the first week in November. And so I thought, ah, well, it's close enough. <laughs> and so we did that one. Uh, next year, I don't know any big dates around October uh, that are too significant. I'm sure there are. It's just um, my failings as a church historian, I guess. Uh, and so I get to pick one of the guys that I really like. <laughs> and I think I might do Arthur Pink. Oh, okay. I think his story might be really wonderful for the church as he really struggled with depression and even had a nervous breakdown at one point. And yet he was still a faithful servant of God. Yeah, yeah. You know, and I, I think I, even though I've only done two of these so far, uh, I'm noticing that God, to me, what's so encouraging and what I see really encourages the people here is that God continues to use really broken and messed up people. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and it's, it's that Psalm 23, he restores me to the paths of righteousness for his namesake, not, not mine. What, didn't uh, Spurgeon also suffer from depression? Yeah, he our melancholy, as he would call it. <laughs> yeah, he he died with four different diseases. Uh, he had gout. He had a problem with his liver, um, I, and two other ones. I forget what they are off the top of my head, but uh, yeah, you know. And that's another thing, you know, as we see all this this huge wave of prosperity preaching coming into the church, and that's you know, you pray X amount, God will do Y. You, you go to church Easter and Sunday, you have your fire insurance, and God needs to listen to your prayers. Um, one of the things that's really important about looking at the, you know, some of the titans of the faith, if, if that's not an inappropriate thing to say, is they all had physical ailments and serious health problems and, and messed up situations in their life. And, and it's the same thing that's true with our biblical characters. You know, just faithfulness does not equate to comfort. Yeah. And I think that's something the American church has lost. Just a quick view of Paul's life would should dispel any <laughs> any idea of the prosperity Very gospel true. being true. It's <laughs> so true. I, I'm a big fan of uh, D.L. Moody in particular. Oh, me too. He, he, me too. So Billy Graham, I, I don't no, mean to cut you off, but Billy Graham, um, he, he was a huge Moody fan. Huge, huge, huge. 
and um, Billy Graham used to get tons and tons of hate mail, you know, because he worked with Catholics. How dare you work with Catholics? He had the altar call. A lot of people had problems with altar calls, especially our uh, Calvinist brothers and sisters. And he really took great solace and comfort in D.L. Moody's famous line. Uh, people used to pick on him all the time for not taking certain stands. And in one particular event, someone was saying that kind of stuff to him. And he goes, well, I'll tell you what, I like the way I do evangelism more than I like your way of not doing it. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, we're, we're free in that sense. There, there's a great book, uh, D.L. Moody, A Life, that I, I've read a couple of times now. And it, it's so encouraging because he's just a regular dude. And God just just takes him and, and Moody just decides, I'm going to do everything possible to follow God and then changes the entire world. So uh, anything in particular that either you didn't know about Billy Graham or that really struck you about his life when you were preparing for the sermon? Well, you know, he, he taught over the course of 60 years. And, you know, when I, when I t- under, undertook the project of trying to sum up his life and his ministry, in 50 minutes, you inevitably got to be pretty picky. And, uh, you know, so that was a, that was a difficult task for me personally. But one of the things that struck me more than any was his relationship to his father. And I, I, that's not something you typically hear in famous, uh, not that there should be any famous, but famous Christians, you know, uh, as you said that I, I've never Um, heard anything about him and his father. No, and nor, nor have I. Um, but, his father, you know, Billy grew up in the 20s and 30s, and his father in the 20s and 30s, um, he he was a he uh, ran a dairy farm, and he hired a man by the name of Reese Brown. Reese Brown was a black man, and he was the highest paid worker in all of Mecklenburg County, which is where they grew up, which was tremendously scandalous during those days, and it really impacted the life of Martin Luther. I mean, of of Billy Graham. Um, as he really did stand for, um, you know, the civil rights and his a deep relationship with MLK. In fact, uh, there's uh, quite a few transcripts between him and MLK. And, uh, you know, you, you can see in his own personal writings how much his Mr. Reese Brown, uh, what an impact that had on his life. And that all resulted in his father just paying a man what he was worth. He was a very capable man, regardless of skin color. Uh, another big one to me was... Um, the impact uh, his father's humor had on him. In fact, Billy Graham, when he when he got converted at sixteen at a at a rally in his in his town by uh, Doctor Mordecai Ham, uh, it was it was Doctor Ham's storytelling abilities and humor that Billy Graham said it reminded him of his father, uh, and it allowed it, it made him keep coming back. He could not stay away, and it was the hook that helped bring about one of the greatest evangelists in all of human history. And then we see all throughout his life, he's constantly surrounding himself uh, with people of great humor. Uh, his wife is a very funny woman. Uh, she once, uh, Someone asked her if she ever considered divorce and, uh, to Billy, and she said, divorce never, murder occasionally, but never divorce. <clears throat> and all of his co-workers, his co-laborers were men of great, you know, they just liked the laugh, and it seemed to really impact his, his entirety of his life. And it, I, I, that, it occurs to me that when I was preparing to, to speak with you, I, I think that's one of, the, one of the things you guys at Baltimore do really well, is keep the, keep the personality in the church, keep humor, you, you, God has, has made you in a certain way. And you, you don't hide that. Yeah. 
Well, you know, it's 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 funny when you think of someone who's really holy. You know, I think instinctively we don't think of laughter. <laughs> um, but I, I just that that has not been my experience. Once again, I love church history, and I've noticed some of the most enduring saints and the strongest saints are men that were quick-witted and were fast to laugh. And I, I think because we're called to be joyful yet uh, or sorrowful yet always rejoicing. You know, I, I think Christians should be a very extreme people that when things are good, you allow them to be good. And I think as Christians, we, we should lean into that aspect, so to speak, of, you know, when things are good, let them be good. And when they're, when they're heavy, let them be heavy, you know, cry with somebody and at the same time, laugh with somebody. Yeah, that, that reminded me when you were talking about it before, uh, Luther, he would, he would also go into great fits of depression at times. And yep. I don't think that's what you're talking about, that we, we shouldn't go into, into fits of depression. We, no. we love people if they're struggling with depression, and they sh- we should all seek the Lord. But uh, did you ever hear the story where his wife came into his study one time? He was in one of those fits for oh, days. Yep, yep. And uh, she came in in funeral garb, and he goes, my dear, who died? And she said, uh, the, what was it, the faith of my husband no, who passed away? God. I, I, I think oh. she said, I, I suspect God has, but by, by the way, you've been acting. That's right. That's right. I, implying yeah. his faith. Right. Well, it's funny. He, he, you know, because he became such a, such a stoic figure, you know, towards the end of his life, people, you know, he gave found himself giving all sorts of advice on how to run children's ministry and even how to run, how to help people through depression. And he has a great line. He says, whenever I find myself in seasons of depression, I found the best remedy is to drink and play games so as to spite the devil. <laughs> so he encouraged, you know, when you start to introvert negatively, you know, you have to purposefully surround yourself with, once again, people of humor and laughter to not only, you know, the spiritual aspect of things to resist the devil, uh, because, you know, Allowing yourself to become defeated absolutely is a spiritual issue. But at the same time, uh, the people around you, you allow them to use their gifts of joy as you allow yourself to be a party pooper yeah. in their presence. You know, uh, it's, it's I, you know, I tell our people all the time at Calvary Baltimore, it's like I, I hate it when everyone's walking around with the with the. Uh, with the uh, I'm fine syndrome, <laughs> you know, if everyone comes to church and everyone says they're good. And the reality is 90% of us are going through hell. You know, you actually not only are lying, but you're robbing the, the body of Christ in their ability to yeah. serve one another. Yeah, and I, I call it the, the shiny, happy Christian syndrome. <laughs> that's great. Because no, you're, you're stealing a blessing from people. We, we, I think we instinctively don't want to burden people. But the way the church is structured, it, you need to, we need to bring our burdens to people so that they can use God's gift uh, in them and God's spirit through them to comfort us. It's, oh, it's great. a really hard, it, it's really anti-cultural right now in the cur- the church, but, but it's true. Mm-hmm. So yep. you, you got to preach on Billy Graham and that's gotta be a challenge. Were you a little scared talking <laughs> about Billy Graham? It's uh, yeah, well, you know, it's, I, I don't, I don't know if this is wrong. This is just where I am. I notice when I when I feel a little self-conscious or uneasy about a text, 
uh, the trap is to go through it so many times at nausea that you end up being bored with your own teaching because you you know you're trying to work out delivery and timing and you know you're just trying to and you do it so many times it's like you know you watching a movie 15 times before you go to the theater to see it you know <laughs> and so in a sense uh it's I, I i've really learned to just at some point enough's enough uh and then to resolve the end of your your study week in prayer and just say god whatever you want to add when i'm up there add it and whatever you want to take away take away and I, i've noticed a lot more fruit and peace in my teaching ministry ever since i did that you know to just not make it so much about me yeah. selfishly. Yeah, and I've, I've had the same transition over four years because I, I think I was so concerned about getting everything right, and I'm still concerned about getting it right well, that I was strangling the life out of the 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 message at times. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's and not to not to be this way, but to think of it from from a I don't want to use the secular point of view. I don't know what the word I'm looking for is, but in a sense, preaching is an art. You know, you're you're crafting something, you're you're taking clay and molding it into something, you're trying to work with a text. And in a sense, like most art, it's very vulnerable. You know, you're vulnerable in presenting it to people. So in a sense, you know, I think you just want people to like you <laughs> and like what you've put together. And I think as we mature in Christ, you know, it's kind of like, you know what, I'm handling the words of God. Uh, this isn't this isn't this isn't of my own creation. And, and you settle in the fact that even if I don't get one good job today, Pastor, <laughs> I still had, by God, will hear, well done, good yeah. and faithful servant, as I just preached honestly. Uh, but I think in the beginning, there's especially that, that vulnerability that, that takes place with a preaching ministry. You know, and, and as having a lawyer also, a trial lawyer in particular, I, didn't, I never went through the worrying about if people liked me. But I, I was always just focused on getting it out <laughs> accurately and getting all the information out. So there was, you know, eight hundred different uh, connected texts that or verses that I would read, and it would just kind of information informationing me, if that is a word, the, the sermon to death. <laughs> which which it, yeah. information is great and Bible study is great, but if you're if you want to put a teach the actual text you teach the text to teach what you're talking about yeah well yeah that's the big thing for me with um are you familiar with dr martin lloyd jones so i i love him he his big thing was um, on peter's sermon of pentecost acts chapter two and he gets up and he gives he breaks down his sermon and he goes here is a teaching that is both logic and fire <laughs> you know it was a perfect balance of of this is what what God means and a perfect balance of this is how you apply it. Yeah. You know, and I, I think a lot of, I think theologians fall in the logic category and most pastors fall in the fire category. They try to get it all worked up. It's like, no, you need a balance of both, you know, quite frankly, and I'm not knocking anyone's ministry, but I, I know I'm too handicapped to do otherwise. I don't know how people get up and not, you know, when people don't use a podium, when they just walk around and talk, I'm like, how do you do that? It's like, how do you remember your 20 yeah. Bible references and, you know, your allegories? I'm, I'm sure you know boy. the old Chuck, Chuck Smith story about that, where he he decided one time that he was going to step out from a, behind the podium and do the walk around the stage. And yeah. he stepped out, yeah. got, a, got to the front of the stage and completely forgot what he was going to say. 
<laughs> so he, he had to walk back and, and look at his notes and he, he stayed behind the podium ever, ever since. <laughs> I am, I can relate to that. Believe me. I have one of my kryptonites is memorizing anything. I have the worst memorization. It is pitiful. I, I think that's also just using different people. You know, Bill, Billy Graham was, was hugely different than like Alistair Begg currently or, or D.L. Moody or yep. any of any of the pastors. And God uses our gifts yeah. differently according to his plan, not ours. So, you know, it, it occurs to me that, particularly in the discipleship podcast, this applies to anyone trying to offer the, the message of the gospel, too, that we everybody needs to have the concrete parts down, you know, the gospel and, and the verses to support that, but then letting the Lord lead and using their gifts to, to speak to people, not, not strangling the life out of it by too formulating it. Do you know what I mean? Well, yeah, yeah. Well, and I think, too, as a, so I'm a pastor's kid, <laughs> and when God called me to preach, I, I really had to come with the terms that I am not Pastor Rick. I'm not called to be Pastor Rick. I'm called to be Josh. Uh, and in a sense, you know, I, 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 I listen to teachers, and it's like, you know, I'm not called to be there. And so, you know, so many evangelists try to be Billy Graham, and it's like God already called a Billy Graham. Yeah. You're called to be someone else. You know, you're called to be who you are. And in fact, this runs this runs so deep into me. I actually ninety five percent of my studying is all uh, written. I, I read because I I don't want too many influences of other people's delivery. I love so one of my my favorite preaching past is probably Matt Chandler down at the Village Church. In that, Texas. That's that's heresy. Uh, that's heresy. For chapel pastor, you can't do that. <laughs> Non-denominationalist, <laughs> baby. Uh, you know, I I love his delivery. Uh, but and I found myself early on, I would take some of his inflections and ways of putting things, and I noticed I was starting to become a missionary in Baltimore as a missionary in Texas. You know, I'm not called to be a Texan missionary. I'm yeah. called to be a Baltimore missionary. And so the, that <laughs> delivery style, how God's led him to teach, that's great, but that's for him. You know, and, I, I'm isn't that just me. discipleship in general? I mean, the, we, we, so particularly in today's church, there are pastors held, held up missionaries, uh, some churches that these are the fancy people and you want to be like the fancy people. Mm -hmm. So you need to change your life to be the fancy people rather than letting God use you where you are to change your workplace, your family and everyone around you. Yeah. Well, so I don't, you know, if there are any unbelievers listening to, to the podcast and, and maybe people that are unaware of the church scene, it's very much its own ecosystem. And uh, a lot of, it's funny, there's probably, I don't know, 20 churches that really influence 80% of the churches. <laughs> and if you notice now, like when you, when you look at big churches, what they do, they all dress the same. You know, it's like, once again, you know, just yeah. be who God's called you to be. You know, it's, it's, it's trendy Christianity. It, to me, is something in my personal conviction that's, that's very and, toxic. It, it seems, at least from the, from the scriptures, Paul and Timothy are very different. Peter and Paul are very different. James and Peter and Paul are all different personalities called to pass on the one personality that, that matters, Jesus. Yeah. Yep. Yep. So you, you mentioned you, you grew up as a pastor's kid. Uh, Calvary Baltimore has been going, has it been longer than you, you've been alive? Or 
the church of the church moved from a Bible study to a church oh, okay. the week I was born. I, I wasn't raised in a church at all, so this is we're we're learning from the the Lord and people around us every day how to raise our kids. What yeah. what worked yeah. with you to keep you on the path of the Lord and and to want to serve the Lord when when you got to be an adult? Well. Because I was pretty much at every church function that ever existed <laughs> as a pastor's kid, you're toted from place to place and event to event. You know, I was in church probably, I don't know, eight hours a week. Uh, I was in school seven, eight hours a day. And, uh, you know, but I was with my parents the most. Uh, and so I, I think maybe the greatest gift in my life were, were two things. One, were my parents, you know, my my mom is, she, she absolutely has the gift of overcoming joy. Um, you know, she was homeless at 12. Her father killed himself. I mean, her story is absolutely horrific. And she might be the most joyful person I've ever met. <laughs> and my dad's hysterical. He's just that way. He's the easiest going guy. Um, I know a lot of people don't have that perception of him, but, you know, it's just because they don't, they don't know him. You know, you see him preach and he's passionate. Uh, he's funny, but he's passionate, uh, but he's such an easygoing guy. And so, you know, my, I really saw who Christ was through my parents. And then the other thing was my, my brother and sister, you know, my sister was a prostitute and a heroin addict until the day that she died. And my, my brother is, I don't, I don't want to get too much into that story, but maybe the most difficult person I've ever met. Um, and, you know, I, I don't know too much about him now, and so I don't, I don't want to speak to that, but at least he was. And so from my parents, I learned what to be, and from my yeah. siblings, I learned what not to be. <laughs> and many times it was, God, don't ever let me succumb to addiction. Don't ever let me succumb to being a liar. You know, I just saw the destruction of it. So I, I, I call it, I very much had an ecclesiastical upbringing. You know, I, I saw everything under the sun and what worked and what didn't work. Yeah, you know, that people ask me, generally the the one comment I get most often as a pastor is I'm so calm. And and I am pretty calm. It's just Yeah. But the uh mm -hmm. if they ask more about why why I became calm, I I just say, you know, you, you did not experience the first twenty years of my life. <laughs> It was uh, everything under the sun, and it was all, it was pretty miserable. After that, and then after meeting Jesus, everything's just like, this is wonderful. Well, that's how I feel. That's how I feel as an adult, you know, in the, in the ministry. You know, obviously it comes with its heartbreaks. And, you know, we just lost a close family friend two weeks ago from cancer. I mean, you know, there's always those kinds of things happening. And they're not easy, but... You know, when things are good, they're they're unbelievable. You never thought you'd have such peace. Uh, and it's just something that God seems to supernaturally provide to us. And I, I think that's, we, we're talking about it from a pastor's perspective, but even if you're actively involved in church and loving people and really getting involved in people's lives, you're, you're let into, so close into other people's lives, you, you experience these things that it's just amazing to, amazing privilege to go through births and deaths and highs and lows and, and watch the Lord work. I, I think it's part of the reason why we're called to live in such close community because our life is great and the Lord does good things for us, but magnify that, that the gifts that he gives us and get to see it a hundred times or 200 times through the people that you, that you walk with the Lord with. It's, it's like the Lord's glory on display every day.
Yeah, absolutely. That's a great way to put it. Yeah. So what is the, the Lord teaching you these days? Does he have anything particular? <laughs> oh boy, that's an open-ended question, my friend. Well, uh, let me let me ask you: who's who's the audience of that? Of this is podcast? whoever never downloads you. it. We're, we're yeah the the wide. I open. think we we talked about it briefly at the the conference, but from my experience from coming into church as a completely unchurched person, but a lot of the stuff that I've learned has just been sitting down and talking with with like Dan Sexton or Jason or just on fire believers before, after church, at conferences, informally, just hearing about their lives and looking at things differently. So the hope is just to pass on discipleship, like uh, Paul, sure. follow me as I follow Christ. One, one of the things that I, I definitely see God calling me into right now is the unity of the body, the body of Christ, that is. Uh, I, I'm just, I'm starting to realize just how much of the New Testament is written for the express purpose, besides the glory of God, uh, is for the unity of the church. And I, I have to say, I, I real it has brought tremendous clarity to what God has called me to do. You know, my whole life, I, I thought I was here to help bring those within the church to Christ, because I just love God's people uh, and to encourage God's people. And I realized that all folds into this unity. And so that that has been, you know, that's one of the reasons, you know, I, I started the men's conference that we have at our church with all the different Calvaries in Maryland. I just, I, I've really caught that vision from God and, and that we all need to work together and not separate. And, you know, Jesus says, you'll know, they'll know you're my disciple by your love for one another. And so the world should know that we're Christians by how I love you, Tom. <laughs> you know, I mean. That's really yeah. simple, but yeah, well. also deeply profound, you know, and, and I'm realizing that if unity is such a mark of the Holy Spirit, then disunity is such a mark of spiritual warfare. And so I'm, I'm really leaning into that space of, you know, exactly what Satan's desire for our life is as the church and what God's desire. And there's is. nothing better than getting together with other in this case other men but other believers from different sheepfolds and just knowing being encouraged that the bible is being taught and people are following the lord and it's not just our church but churches all over the country are want to boldly follow the lord even when the news headlines look bleak and they do indeed so for for those listening the, the men's conference in Calvary, baltimore was the last two years uh josh taught the last year I, I taught this year, and I know you're up online. Is, is this year's men's conference up online? Oh, it's on oh, okay. it's on Calvary Chapel Baltimore's Facebook page. Calvary Chapel Baltimore's Facebook page, and you'll, so you'll see you, our broadcast. You can go check there. that out for, for the last two years. Let's see what we look like in person. Don't do that. I got a face for uh, for telephone. Believe me, you don't want to. Don't well, wish it, that on for, anybody. And, and what you're saying, you know, that's. I think it really challenges us. Jesus in John 17, when he's really praying for us, prays that we, we be unified. And yet we feel righteous in scorning other people, particularly in the body of Christ, if they're not doing things like, like we're, we're doing. And, you know, we, we, we know that there's clearly a difference between preaching a, a different gospel and they, they are rightfully not part of God's family, but diff different styles, different non-core doctrines, we can all love each other as the body of Christ, right? 
Well, right. And that's one of the reasons, once again, go back to church history, why I felt inclined to give the biographies of these men. You know, a Luther is not for the Lutherans alone. <laughs> you know, Billy Graham was not for the Baptists alone. Uh, you know, uh, Augustine wasn't for the Catholics alone. And on and on and on it goes, you know, where Chuck Smith wasn't for Calvary Chapels alone. You know, it's for the body of Christ. That's much bigger than any movement man may decide to start. And so, that, that once again, it all leads yeah. back to the unity and, of the body. And that's one of the things that, that always bothers me when people ask the question about for the Protestant church. I'm holding up the quote, Protestant church. But and, act, <laughs> right. and assume that everything happened before the Protestant Reformation belongs to the Catholic Church, and it's <laughs> right. it's not true. I mean, the Apostle Paul, Augustine, uh, the early Church Fathers, we we believe that they are our predecessors in the in in the Universal Church of Christ, regardless of what what you're going to call them. Well, even Luther himself was an Augustinian monk. You know, you can almost argue he went back to the roots <laughs> of the Catholic Church. You know, so it's 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 about so all. So, in, in a discipleship focus, what what are is the Lord teaching anything in particular these days about how to disciple and where where to focus your your time? Well, time's time is a. Uh, I think it was Damien Kyle that said a pastor is a. Being a pastor is a workaholic's dream because <laughs> there's just always a thousand things to do. And so you really do have to safeguard your time. I think a big one for me. So my my sister passed away three years ago. I saw what that did to my 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 mother. And, you know, and, and I've just as a pastor, right, you go week after week ministering to people. And sometimes they just never get it. You know, they, they stare at you and nod their head and their lives never reflect the calling God has placed on it. And I realized in the Great Commission, right, we're called, therefore, to go into all the ends of the world and make disciples. We're not called to go to the ends of the world and make converts. It's two very different things. You know, I I, I shudder at that, that word uh, soul winning. Man never was called nor is capable of winning souls. That's God's job. We know that from Romans. And so, you know, as a pastor, I'm called to preach faithfully week after week. And if no one responds, that's not my failure. You know, my sister's refusal to kick heroin, right, wasn't my mother's failure. People that we love dearly that leave the church and go back to addictions or, you know, domestic violence or, or pathological lying or whatever it may be, it, it, it's not the failure of anybody in the body of Christ, you know, and uh, my, my job, my job and every believer's job in the commission is to make disciples. And so the question is, what is discipleship making? And if you look at the biblical model of that, right, it's really the rabbi and his student. It's someone, a, a someone more seasoned taking someone or groups of people less seasoned and literally living life with them. And showing them, not telling them only, but showing them what holy living looks like. You know, that not only do they come and listen to you teach, right, which most people will sign up for because they value their own opinions, to show people how you live. You know, that's one of the reasons why so many of the lists in the New Testament of the qualification of an elder or a godly man or woman, you know, almost all of them are filled with almost exclusively of examples of purity. 
and holiness. Every single list Paul puts together has sexual immorality, and I think all but one of them have it twice. <laughs> and so our conduct needs to match our messaging. And so as disciplers, right, we, we need to be not just preaching to people, we need to be living life with people. You know, that's one of the reasons I try to be so available um, to people in our church. You know, we're, my, I'm called to live with others. And and sometimes that, that doesn't look like a Bible study. Sometimes that looks like going and grabbing a, yeah. a bucket of chicken and just laughing together. And, and that's discipling. And I, I don't think people realize that. And and so once again, unity of the church. One of the things that I'm vehemently opposed to is being a Christian two hours a week. You know, when when Christ died for the covenant community of faith, the, the blood-bought people of the church, he never intended us to get together two hours on a Sunday and that was it. You know, we were called to live together. I mean, genuinely and really live together. And uh, that, that's something I feel really strongly about. Um, and it's something I really feel strongly with the people in my life to be available to answer text messages, to, to, to send funny memes to somebody just to make them laugh uh, and, and to share meals with people and to be hospitable. And, you know, once again, you look at Jesus, he's sitting around lounging and eating all the time. And the Pharisees didn't think it was ministry, but that's exactly what ministry is. It's, yeah. it's living with people and showing like, like at the last supper when he makes the point to go in and wash it, wash the feet, something that we, we put a lot of spiritual meaning on it now when there was a lot of spiritual meaning, but washing feet was not in the, the job of rabbi at that point. He, he's living with them and acting out oh. what life is like as a, as a perfect disciple of, of God, a perfect follower of, of Jesus for perfect man. Uh, under God, and that, that's the the flip side, right? You know, you you make yourself uh, available, and we we have that weird church thing where some people take the pastor out, and the pastor says, "Live together," but I'll be up here. Happens but that, that, all the time. We're we're just sheep too, right? All I mean, the time. We're part of the 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 flock, but then then the the other side is. I know that when I first started going to church, I thought these things were burdens. You know, do I have to go to church? Do I have to get up? Do I, I'd rather sleep in on, on Sunday morning. I think it's just the flesh not, and your mind not seeing that these are, are blessings. These are benefits. These are how you grow in Christ, spending time with other believers and learning. We, well, so, so many, you know, we, we, we have a lot of prayer at our church. We, we run two prayer meetings every week and have one special one once a month. And one of the things I, I notice in all these different, you know, you hear so many different kinds of people pray. And I, I've just come to realize over 50%, at least in my context, of the prayers uttered are answerable through the body of Christ. And I don't think people realize, you know, once again, you were saying you felt it was a burden, but it's like, you know, when you look at Acts chapter two, right? Like we were called to be generous with each other. I mean, how how many of the church's prayers do you think are for monetary assistance? You know, a lot. <laughs> and according to God's design for the church, those things should help be answered through the church. You know, and, and of course we live in a different context now with so many social programs and so many people feel entitled now. That's a 
that's a whole, you know, back then when you didn't work, you didn't eat and you died. So things were a little different. God doesn't, you know, I, I love it says gave to anyone who were in need, not once, yeah. you know, HBO doesn't fall under the need category. <laughs> Your cable bill doesn't. Uh, but the same thing, you know, how many people struggle with depression and anxiety and they cry, God help me, God help me. But it's like, how many people have the gift of encouragement in the church? So it's so important for us to unite and connect together. And, you know, and, and, and just by our proximity and love, so many of the church's prayers would just be answered uh, in the gift. That, that, that is seems like it's been a, a theme going through our discussion. The, the body, if it's working yes, it correctly, <laughs> will all work together to keep the body healthy. When parts start heading out and say either I'm not worthy or I'm, I can't offer anything or I don't have time, the body gets diminished somewhat. Certainly doesn't diminish the glory of Jesus. It's just the, the health of, of, of us as a, a local body of Christ. And this is coming from someone. Yep, when we first started going exactly to go to church, right. I would hope that the alarm wouldn't go off in the morning because my, my 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 wife wanted to go, <laughs> and I didn't. I just you know I I wasn't on board yet, so I, I would do everything to avoid it. You know, and but now that I see it and experienced it, wow. and really, you see the body, the power of Jesus just working every every time that believers get together. It's an amazing thing. Yeah, it's it's. I mean, every Sunday, it's so encouraging. You know, a lot of people, I, I, I remind myself, it's like they are not shown this sort of love anywhere else on this planet. I, I, I see guys that come in with bad marriages, and it's like, when you hug them, it's the, the first hug they've had since the last hug you gave them. <laughs> you know, and it's like, you just realize what people are going through. It's sometimes you don't realize when you're so plugged in what it means to people because you're, you know, the, a lot of your old wounds have healed, but so many people have such hard jobs and hard marriages and difficult kids. So when we just love on each other, we're, we're being and giving, a giving a picture of what we should seek out in others too. You know, and I think, I think there's so many bad, I grew up in a, a really dysfunctional family and it wasn't until I experienced real love that, it was just like, what, what is this thing? I have no idea. So it's, I, I think that, that that's our, we can have programs, we can have outreaches, we can have ads on the internet or, or, or otherwise, but, but our, the core is this, we're known by our love. Look, this is not found anywhere else in the world. Well, and I, I think the missing element to that is great. You know, they say if you ever found a perfect church, the second you'd step foot in it, you'd ruin it. And the point is there are no perfect people. And and I, I think that's really important to understand. Yes, we'll know we're God's yeah. disciple by our love for one another, but we're also really messed up people. And we're, we're inundated uh, with sin, you know, with everything that's on the Internet and television and our daily work lives and the radio you can't walk down the street without someone wearing something inappropriate. <laughs> and, you know, there's just a million things that are just given over to sin. And with people with, with a fallen nature, you know, we're going to mess up. And so I once heard somebody say that the biggest contentions in a relationship are unmet expectations from the other. And I, I think when people come into the body of Christ expecting to totally give or totally to receive and not to give, you know, when someone fails you, you know, in your mind, they've broken the arrangement. 
<laughs> um, but you're, you should be coming to church to both give and receive. And part of part of giving, right, is is forgiveness. You know, when we forgive somebody, we incur a loss. We accept that someone may have wounded us, and that that's part of the giving process. And I don't think most people realize that. Um, but it's something that that is very instrumental in the body of Christ. That that the pastor is called to model holiness, but the pastor isn't completed in perfection. Uh, the, the giving is certainly <laughs> so a, he, a challenge grace in, too. in this particular culture of entertainment and consuming and uh, coming out of culture where it's become second nature that, you know, there's 84 channels on TV. And in addition to that, you can have any movie possible and then take out, you can order whatever you want. And then you go into a church and the church says you should serve. It, it's such a such a cultural upside down thing, but I, I know I don't. Growing up in the church, it could it yeah, was di- could be different. But the, the day that I really got things at a, a differently, I think my church relationship with the Lord and the church change was the day I realized that hey, th- this church thing is not about me. It's about ser- serving other people, and it was like a lightning bolt. <laughs> <laughs> yep, yep, and it's freeing too. You know, when when you honestly love God, you more than anything else, you just want him to lead. Even if it's difficult, it's refreshing because you've gotten direction. Think, I think in my life when that whole servanthood thing really came to fruition, it was very freeing. And and the reality is, right? I mean, at a cellular level, what did God say? Let's make man in our image. Who's our some people would argue the divine council. I think some people would argue the Trinitarian nature of God. But at a cellular level, right, we were made after a family, a group of people. And so at a cellular level, right, that, that's we're made after a community. And I, I tell people all the time, hey, you will never meet a happy, selfish person. <laughs> and it's true. And you'll notice that the most generous people in the world mm. are often the happiest people in the world. Yeah, it's really. because they're doing what they've been designed for. If there was one thing that that you could sure. either tell Christians, just regular folk like you and I, in your time that you've seen that either they can, they should do that that they might not realize they do, or that they are doing, and and stop. Well, I guess one one piece of advice. That is a big question, my friend. <laughs> yeah, sure. <laughs> for me, I, I'm going to go with my first thought. There's probably something much more profound and probably something more pressing to share, but the thing that's on my heart at the moment is strike a balance between grace and holiness. And I I think most Christians struggle with one or the other. <laughs> um, they, they, they find, you know, Jesus in almost every sermon talks about purity or holiness in some form. And a lot of legalistic Christians read that and go, see, we got to be holy, we got to be right. Um, you know, one sip of alcohol, you're going to hell. You've ever looked at a cigarette? Watch out, buddy. God's gonna get you. Uh, you know, don't go to any parties where there's dancing. Don't don't watch Netflix because you could stumble, throw away your televisions, and burn them for good measure. You know, there are just there's so many things that you can run away with. And at the same time, there are people that are so into grace. You know, they feel free to do just about everything, and they feel like they got their fire insurance. And God's a God of love. He'll take me anyways because I pay my taxes and recycle. Uh, so there, there's just such a wide gap there. And I, I think for me, 
what's really important is to strike both the freedom of Christianity and the seriousness of Christianity. And there, there seems to be a balance that Jesus strikes. You know, he would sit down and once again laugh and eat and feast with really messed up people. You know, he met them where they were at. And Peter, you know, Peter was the king of foot and mouth disease. He is perpetually messing up. And yet there's grace there. And there's joy there. And there's freedom there. And once again, Jesus would sit with the twelve and just enjoy that. Have you I'm sorry, go ahead. It's just the celebratory attitude that follows Jesus, and it should mark the church. At this I don't know, and at the same time. You know, how many warnings does Jesus give about sin? He talks about hell more than anybody. And the seriousness of, of godly living. I think believers need to do a much better job at, at fighting for purity and holiness. You know, I, I, I think fruit of the fruit of the flesh is lust. You know, I, I, I know so many believers who have say watch Game of Thrones or or really they watch really horrible things and you know, I, I think some people's people are free to watch maybe The Walking Dead that I'm not. You know, maybe maybe their conscience isn't seared. But you know, I just can't see Jesus okay with tons of nudity and cursing. <laughs> you know, there's def- things but that the church can definitely say this is too far. And I, I think us Christians have gotten very soft in some of these regards. And look, if someone I know watches those things, you know, I'm not gonna turn my bible into a ninja star and aim for them but (laughs) but it's just it's it's important that that we expect more of each other because the reality is the better you are tom with living the way god should live is the more you help me and the better i am and the more the more closely connected i am with christ the better i'm going to be for you and so in a sense we, we should fight for purity and holiness and and say no to the things of this world a little more quickly, not only for our soul's health, but I think once again what's missing is for the is for those we're called to disciple. If it's if it's living life together really, truly, and genuinely, how am I representing Christ as I let people come over to my house and we watch shows filled with boobs and nudity? What 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 am I in that teaching moment teaching somebody? teaching them to devalue a sister in Christ. I'm teaching them to blur the line between sex between only a husband and a wife in the confines of a bedroom. Uh, I'm teaching them that it's okay to have a wayward eye. You know, there's just a hundred things that stem from that. And and so I, once again, not to beat the same old drum, but I, I think there needs to be a greater level of purity and holiness, not only for ourselves, but for those around us. And I I, I think like all sin, we never quite understand the impact of it fully in this life. Hmm. But I, I have seen the men that take purity the most seriously tend to be the most impactful for God. And we have, our life is but a vapor, and this is what it's about. Uh, and so my, my, my life is not to catch up on all the latest and greatest. My life is to live for the glory of God. And, and that's all entering into that process is holiness. And, and once again, not forget grace in that process. Yeah, amen. And and you know, just to clarify, purity does and holiness doesn't mean judging everyone around us. It just means following God the best way we can. And particularly on the ones where they're not clearly defined in the Bible, there's freedom. But for our personal relationship with the Lord, 
the I think our wires have gotten crossed with purity and holiness being we it's presented as contrary to joy or contrary to enjoyment of life, and that's so untrue. Have you ever seen the the Bible Project on you? There, there's a, a great one, and it's on word holiness. I absolutely love it because it it talks it goes through Isaiah when he's goes to heaven and the the coal the purity involved and it it goes on to to talk about Jesus being a, a fulfillment of that Jesus pure he's holy and pure and he comes into the world and he's not defiled by the world because he's that holy he's like the sun burning so so hot that nothing is going to defile it or the coal doesn't get defiled by the the sin that it comes into contact with it makes Isaiah holy and pure and I I often think of that just with when thinking about holiness that if we have that first if we have that in ourselves if we are seeking holiness then we can go out and encounter things with without fear but there's a very difference of it's a very different situation of bringing stuff in to our own temple and expecting it to be okay yeah well in the word holy in hebrew it means separate and i i think once again back to, to my what i was saying it's you know christians are not called to live like the unbelieving world there's a sense that we are set apart that we are different and so the fact that your neighbor down the street can do something that you may want to do but if it's a sin right it's just not for you and that's okay you know and and, and to get back to your point, you know, people have disassociated holiness with joy. And I think what's most shocking to new believers or, or believers that really go for it is they can't imagine living life without this thing. And then once they just give in to God's beautiful design, they find themselves far more fulfilled than they'd ever imagined because they, they had never quite experienced anything like that, you know, and so... Uh, just the and they find out that, that that the thing was killing them and enslaving them. Yeah. Yep, that's exactly right. <laughs> Josh, if people wanted to reach out to you to contact you, how, how can they get in touch with you? Yeah, so um, they could email me at joshuaplanholt at gmail dot com. They could. Uh, I'm on Facebook. Uh, we our church website is Calvary Chapel Baltimore at uh sorry calvarychapelbaltimore.org uh i also have a youtube page where i put up daily uh weekly blogs and uh just just all sorts of nonsense so they could find me there thanks again so much for joining us for this episode of the come let us disciple podcast again this is tom neary from calvary catonsville and pastorunlikely.com. If you have any questions, please reach out to me by email through a comment on the site or to josh at calvarybaltimore.com, also through his email address, which he provided. If you are in Maryland and you are looking for a Bible teaching church, please consider Calvary Catonsville. We're located at the border of Arbutus, Catonsville, and Elkridge, right by 895. You can check us out on YouTube for our teaching we go through the Bible line by line, verse by verse, precept upon precept. There is a big difference in churches between those that teach the Bible, what is in it, what it is saying to us, versus those who talk about the Bible and general concepts. I recommend strongly that you go to one that teaches the Bible plainly, simply, directly. 
because that is what contains the power of God, not the opinion of man. Our goal here is really to help you follow Christ better. So any way we can do that, we'd be happy to do that. If you have any questions for upcoming podcasts, please shoot me an email and I'd love to answer them. Otherwise, it's been a blessing to spend time with you today. And I pray that the Lord is blessing you in your walk.